I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome back to The Bird Call. This is a podcast dedicated to the birdrights.com, a product of SB Nation, pro quality from a fan's perspective. Now today we have Travis Tate and we are talking Quinn Cook, Axel Tupon, as well as recapping Jamel McMillan's interview and discussing some recent statements by Mickey Loomis and Alvin Gentry. Now let's get to it. But first, I want to ask you guys a favor. Please rate the podcast on iTunes. And if you have already, thank you so much. We're well above 10,000 downloads this month already. So thank you to everyone for listening. Now let's phone a friend. Welcome, Travis Tate, our first-time guest from Bird Rights. What's up, dude? Preston, glad to join you. Uh, love the excitement. The great. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. thing that we've got the podcast going from uh, the Bird Rights crew, the Bird Call. Love it. Love the name. Uh, glad to join you. Oh, man. Were you paid by Ali Cassell to say that? That was quite the introduction. I'm supposed to be the one bumping you up, and here you've turned the tables on me. The, the check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. There might not be any uh, money attached to it by the time you... Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's true. <laughs> but uh, Travis is kind of a big deal here. Uh, former uh, intern for the New Orleans Hornets, the Utah Jazz, the Idaho Stampede of the D-League for three seasons. So we are very grateful to have you on the podcast. And of course, you guys can follow him at T-R-A-B-E-T-T-A. How do you pronounce that, Travis? I go, yeah, I go uh, Trabeta. <laughs> it sounds like European somehow. I think it's like French or something, but that's basically the first couple letters of my of my name, Travis Benjamin Tate. So it's try. very exotic. Uh, I like it. It suits oh, you. Thank you. Exotic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You guys can always follow his content on the birdrights.com, but we do have some breaking news today. Travis, it was cut down day today at Airline Drive, where the Pelicans were avoiding the guarantees to Axel Tupon and Quinn Pook. Tupon was guaranteed. 200,000 today, Cook 100,000. Uh, they were already given 25, but this was to uh, cut down from going up to that number. And uh, the Pelicans had to save that money because they were in very dangerous territory of hitting the hard cap. Talk about uh, the surprise of cutting Quinn Cook, the, the the darling of Summer League, along with Czech Diallo. The Pelicans were said to be very high on him and then very unceremoniously uh, released him today. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, to me, that's just a, this is the reality of when you are a marginal player in any professional sports league, as brutal as that news must have been to get, because I, I wonder when they knew that they were going to be cut. Like, if they actually found out today, um, that would not be a great decision, I don't think, on on behalf of our front office. Um, I think, hopefully... What what I'm thinking is that the agent and the player knew weeks ago that this was going to happen and um, to maybe save them sort of the embarrassment. But if they found out that out today, you know, and, and in the case of Tupon, you lose, what, 200000 you said, and, and Cook, you lose $100,000. I mean, that's very real money for those guys. And I just feel, feel bad for them that it came down to the last day. But, you know, again, this is kind of just the nature of the business. Um, you know, and so now hopefully they can go overseas and get themselves good deals in the Philippines or in China or, you know, wherever. I'm sure they've got some options, but um, it is kind of interesting to to see that Cook uh, was let go. Um, just because, as you mentioned, it did seem like 
many of the coaches and the front office was they almost kind of went out of their way to praise uh, his abilities and maybe the future that he held. But, you know, again, I'm coming back to, you know, this is a, this is a third point guard. This is a 13th or 14th guy on your roster. Um, so nothing is, is going to be a given in his case. And so you can't be all that surprised. Yeah, definitely not surprised by Tupon, although uh, he had a wonderful season in the D-League last year before the Pelicans added him to uh, a 10-day contract. He he really did uh, have a startling, disappointing performance in summer leagues, and it was not anticipated he was going to make it this far. Quinn Cook, on the other hand, averaged over 20 points a game, looked solid leading the team. He did have uh, some turnover issues, but not only that, but they... Like you said, Alvin Gentry, Dell Dems, uh, Jamel McMillan seemed to to really praise his performance and how much he had grown. And he was buddies with Czech Diallo, working out together, driving to work together. Um, and obviously, you know, some of the guys like Ryan Swan from Bourbon Street Shots will will argue uh, that it's the it's the Omri Caspi disease we're having right now. Why are we why are we getting upset over you know a twelve thirteen man on your roster? But yeah. The, the Pelicans don't have a lot of young, cheap talent, a lot of guys to, to to grow a farm system, as it were, other than Czech Diallo. And Quinn Cook did have that potential. He was a shooter. He could uh, he could penetrate. He, uh, you know, could spot up. He could work around screens like there. There was tremendous growth that was taking place there. And, you know, at one point five million or whatever the numbers were that could have uh, ostensibly been on the books this year. Yeah, you, you hate to see it happen. You hate to see him go. You want to see growth happen on your team. You want to believe that Alvin Gentry and Co. can can build young talent and make them affordable so that we're not so top heavy with Drew Holiday and Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis and Solomon Hill and Omar Sheik taking up, you know, a hundred percent of our salary with with nothing but veteran minimums surrounding them. You have to have that young talent. So I was definitely um disappointed. And now we're we're at 13 deep right now. We've got two positions that uh You'd have to think can only be filled with our with our trade exceptions or with a, a veteran minimum. Our focus now shifts to shooters, but I, I have to ask, even with the gluttony of guards that played uh, a role in Cook's dismissal, this is something that Scott Kushner posted earlier. We've already got you know five guards who are going to be heavy in the rotation: uh, Drew Holiday, Jordan Crawford, Etwan Moore, and rookie Frank Jackson. Are the are the Pelicans set at point guard in your estimation? Or do you see the Pelicans still needing a third uh, primary ball handler? Yeah, as you were talking, I, w- I was thinking um, sort of along the same lines as you in terms of, well, you know, you would like to develop younger guys. So you would you would hope that you'd be able to keep a guy like Cook and instead get rid of a much larger chunk of money in, in the form of Ashik, which we'll, I'm sure we're going to get to uh, discussing how we deal with his uh, massive salary cap number. but. Um, you know, that, that number that Cook has is maybe, maybe they don't have as high hopes as they do for Frank Jackson. And so I'm thinking maybe this, uh, waving of Cook is actually a really big signal. I mean, it's gotta be a big signal to Jackson to say to him, Hey, we have a lot of confidence in you. We think that you're going to be you know, Malcolm Brogdon 2.0, a very mature body, a very mature sort of heady game, but still with more athleticism. He can play a little bit of the point. But the the thing about, you know, and you'll find a lot of coaches and a lot of NBA Twitter folks and analysts and radio people and TV people, positionality in the NBA is essentially dead. So you've basically already got you know, this team is going to be centered around the, a little bit of playmaking from Drew and scoring from Drew, you know, all the AD stuff, but then Boogie is going to be such an important guy that they put at the high post that they put out past the three point line. And he's going to be making a lot of plays. He's going to have, you know, a pretty, a pretty high assist percentage for a center. And therefore they probably think, well, Hey, we don't need as much of a traditional point guard, maybe, and maybe Quinn cook isn't even a traditional point guard, but maybe they think we need less or fewer guards than we might normally need. Let's take a gamble more so on Frank Jackson. Let's deploy him as, say, uh, a defense-first spot-up shooter from, say, the corners or behind the three-point line. He's going to cut and slash occasionally. Um, Again, he's got great size, so maybe they're thinking they can get more out of him by taking less, you know, by taking more off of his plate and not forcing him to be a playmaker all the time. 
because they know they already have all these other guys. And I, I'm going to bring this up. I hope to write about this for thebirdrights.com, the SB Nation site for the New Orleans Pelicans, um, at some point before the year starts. But basically, I, in my opinion, the first, I don't know, 20 to 30 games of the season are as important as any stretch of games that the franchise, I think, has ever had, maybe outside of like post-Katrina because you're going to be looking at a situation where if they, for the third year in a row, go something like 2-15 and 15 or 2-10 and 10, um, and essentially knock themselves out of playoff contention right away, uh, just as they have the last couple of years, uh, that could spell disaster in terms of uh, the possibility of re-signing Anthony Davis, Boogie, and then the giant cap number that you're looking at with Drew Holiday. Um, so I, I don't know how I got on that, but, um, you know, I, I think that they, I think that they want to podcast. We're going to get to all that stuff later. Sure. sure. But I think that they want to focus more on Frank um, Jackson, obviously now that they've let go of, let go of cook. And I'm actually pretty high on, on Jackson as well. I, I just like his makeup and I like it. It seems as if he has good con- body control and he has a good um, spatial awareness of the floor. And I think that that's going to translate for him. Definitely. Um, recovering from foot surgery that he had in May surgery to a stress yeah. reaction in his right foot. However, Jamel McMillan said he should be ready in the next couple of weeks to uh, start practice and drills and stuff. He's already doing ball handling drills and uh, he's in terrific shape, uh, according to Jamel McMillan. So hopefully we'll see him soon. I don't expect him to give the kind of minutes that Quinn Cook could have possibly offered. Like we saw, you know, Czech Diallo, a lot of uh, uh did not play coaches decisions a lot of time in the D league. I would expect a lot of that from Frank Jackson this year as well. Never getting more than let's say 15 to 20 minutes, but let's uh, who knows? I mean, he played very, very well last season with the stress reaction in his foot. So yeah. who's to say he won't be uh, more athletic with it repaired. Uh, we, we just can't know, but I do want to move right along to Darius Miller. Uh, Woj reported that it's a two year, $4.3 million deal, 600,000 over the veteran minimum. The second year is a team option, so he's only guaranteed this season. Um, this move uh, nearly triggered the hard cap, and it really forced the Pelicans' hand in this pushing out of Tupon Cook. Cush uh, reported on Twitter that Miller chose the Pelicans because he wanted the opportunity to contribute to winning. Apparently, the Magic and the Rockets were also very high on him. And I just want to, I just want to repeat this: he wanted to contribute. Two winning. So he didn't want to go to Houston, where winning is probably a little bit more likely, and he didn't want to contribute. You would have to think he might get a lot of minutes in Magic, as they are a young, rebuilding team, but he wanted to contribute to winning. That's a lot to to uh, unpack there. How are you feeling about the Pelicans probably paying a little bit more than they needed to to secure Darius Miller's rights, and how much do you see him actually contributing this season? Yeah, so, you know, did we overpay for Darius Miller, I mean, probably, but there is a chance, um, and it is just a chance, I would say, that he could come out and just be lights out as just a guy who's able to spot up on the wings. As as you mentioned when we were talking about um, about Cook being let go, you know, this team, every team, really, you know, every team in the NBA always needs more shooting other than probably Golden State right now. Um, so if he if he's able to come in and make 40% of his threes or even 38% or something uh you know something well above average that's going to have inherent value because again you know the entire offense is going to run through about you know those those I hate to say big 3 but the big 2 and then you know Drew Holiday um and so they must be pretty confident that in a reduced role you know, I'm sure they scouted the heck out of him when he was playing overseas, and they saw that you know he won a he won maybe a title or two over there. Is that right, Preston? You know what? I'll have to Google that. I'll get back to you. Continue with your I, thought. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm getting to is you know he contributed to winning overseas, and now maybe he feels like, or the the Pelicans feel like he's going to be able to contribute to winning with the Pelicans this year. And you know, you got to take a shot on some of these guys. Um, in the situation where you have the chance to take a shot on either Quinn Cook or Darius Miller, 
I probably would take Miller even at the higher cost um, because you're still at least there. You you don't have to give him the second year, but if he comes out and he's gangbusters and he's just great and he makes a ton of threes and this team, you know, becomes a fifth seed or something um, in the West, uh, you know, with because of him, not because of him, but with his help, um, that's something where you would gladly pick up his second year at you know what's he going to be making next year two point something two point one you know, five guys yeah. like that can have great great value and and this is just them buying low on a guy that they might have hopes for you know that can really contribute to a good team yeah absolutely um and you know beyond Solomon Hill there's a lot of question marks right now uh, we've yeah. got. And, and I definitely want to talk about Quincy Pondexter right now because he's another uh, focal point for uh, cutting salary, dumping salary possible, buyout, trading him, offloading him with a second-round pick just to get some of that money back. But uh, the Pelicans are still very high on him. Alvin Gentry is very high on him, called him a, a positive free agent acquisition if he can play. And, of course, we've got all these tweets talking about getting back at it, these Instagram videos of him training three, these workout videos of him, like, doing walking lunges with, uh, I don't know, 155 pounds on his back. But the one reliable wing that we did have last year was was Dante Cunningham. And, uh, you know, he he was one of our, our leading three-point shooters, 40%. Of course, there's that uh, famous affair against the Jazz where he missed three uh, corner threes in a possible hysteric fashion. Uh, but for the majority of the year, he always gave great effort. He was interchangeable from the three to the four, could even give you some small ball five in instances if you've got, you know, AD at the four. Um, a versatile player, a hard worker, and we haven't heard a word from him. Um, the Pelicans still uh, have the rights to his bird rights, uh, to repeat myself. Uh, do you think that there might be some kind of secret handshake agreement between the two parties that has already taken place? And are we just waiting for the Pelicans offseason to unfold before its announcement? Or do you think he truly is just wandering aimlessly through free agent waters right now? I, th- I think your suspicions are true. If I had to take a guess that uh, they've worked something out and they're trying to work uh, the front office, I should, the Pelicans front office is working to get to the point where they can get the money for him that he and they have sort of mutually agreed on, let's say over, you know, under a table. Um, I do think that that is very, you know, very, very true, very uh, potentially true anyway. Um, I have nothing, I have no reporting or anything to base that on. This is just a guess, but because like you mentioned, it's been so quiet. Um, I just get the feeling that they're working on a number and, you know, once they're able to do more work, like, let's say, again, this Ashik thing is going to keep coming up probably till the rest, till the end of his contract, really. Um, if they can maneuver something regarding that Ashik, Ashik contract or even the Agenza contract, um, or coupon, coupons contract, um, that they will make the effort to, to lock up Dante Cunningham. I mean, another question, I guess, would be to me, is he worth whatever money it is that they're trying to set aside for him? To me, I don't think so. I think he just had his career year, and I only see him going downhill from here. So I would rather they take another shot on a a guy like a Darius Miller, Um, uh, you know, a a quote-unquote young veteran that we know um, that the Pelicans front office is sort of obsessed with. Uh, but I guess we'll see if they're able to to lock up Cunningham because I imagine that's what they're trying to do. Definitely. Uh, after a great deal of time, I have uh, discovered that Darius Miller won not one, but back-to-back championships. Back-to-back, baby. Back-to-back. And he also has his title at Kentucky to add to his uh, wall yeah. of accomplishments. So anything uh, from this point forward is Lanyap. Uh, but... With Dante Cunningham still on the fence, the Pelicans are still short. And on uh, Jeff Duncan and Larry Holder's newest podcast, Duncan Holder, uh, Alvin Gentry was quoted as saying, we're looking at more players that we think could help our team, and we won't be satisfied until we plug all the holes that we think we have, Gentry said. We still have some names and some people out there that we are very interested in. Okay, Travis. What are these holes he's referring to? And give us some names as people that you think the Pelicans might be high enough uh, to think could possibly fill those holes. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting because before the Rondo signing, I would have said, hey, we need all the twos we can get because I would love to see Etwan Moore become a really super solid six-man or backup two. Um, but now that's an entirely different situation because of Drew. And the three, I'm not crazy about. I mean, Solomon Hill, you know, he he had his ups and his downs um, this past year. And I think that they would love to shore that up. Um, they don't. They probably don't need any more backup big guys unless they want to get rid of Agenza and Ashik. And in that case, then you do need. You're going to need a third big guy. So maybe they want to package something there in order to get a different big man. I don't know who they'd be looking for because they've got Diallo sitting there. So maybe, um, you know, maybe they think that they need to wait another year on Diallo, which I think is probably true. Um, so maybe they're looking at a big guy. Hey, you know what? Alex Len, he's awful. Maybe you ought to sign him and he'll become great. I don't know. You know what? Uh, a lot of people are going are gonna to point at Solomon Hill as the weak point uh, on the Pelicans roster right now. But I just can't help but think the Pelicans are very high on him. Every time we yeah. ever hear Dell Demps or Alvin Gentry refer to him, they mention that he, he uh, defends wings better than better or as good as anyone in the league and that they really uh, value that aspect of his game. They really value his his leadership and his communication. They didn't bring him there to be a scorer. Does he have to become a better shooter? Yes. Does he have to draw more contact? Yes. Does he need to be more aggressive? Yes. But it sounds like they they like what they're getting at this point. Like they they paid for what they wanted and they're getting it. I, I don't see them as um as wanting to replace him in the lineup. That being said, the position behind him definitely needs to be filled. And yes. like you just mentioned, uh, we don't have a lot of bigs. Uh, we have to assume Ashik's not going to play at all. Ajinsa, um, I, I wouldn't be thrilled with him averaging more than 10 minutes a game. Is Diallo ready to score? Yes. Is he ready to play defense? I'm not so sure. Um, so if we're going to put him out on the floor, we're going to have to pair him with another big body who can... Uh, do some of that rim protecting for him. Uh, there, there could be a world where Solomon Hill plays a small ball four next to Diallo. I'd be interested in trying that. If you need scoring uh, at that at that spot, Andrew Nicholson just become became available in uh, yes. a rather curious trade. The Nets are just a. Uh, uh, piling all these contracts and uh, looking like they might win more than 20 games this year, which doesn't sound like much, but it's uh, pretty dramatic for Brooklyn fans. So uh, uh, hats off to them. Good for you. Guys. It'll be, it'll be nice to win, you know, possibly 25 games next year in an ever weakening East. So good for you guys. And uh, Alex Len is another intriguing one because they're pretty set at center, but I don't know if the Pelicans have enough money. Uh, he is a restricted free agent still. I don't think they've renounced his rights. So that would be a difficult one, but one that we definitely need to keep an eye on. And Gentry just saying this was um, was very interesting to me because he was very specific with his words, where he thinks the holes are and who he thinks is going to fill them. It, it sounds like he has an idea exactly of what he's targeting. Let's move right on to Drew Holiday. Um, uh, Alvin Gentry continued, I, I think if you look at the free agent point guards, I'm talking about guys like George Hill, Derek Rose, Jeff Teague. When you look at them, you compare them to Drew, you take the whole package, he's at the prime. I think he's going to have the best year he's had in the NBA because of his ability now to work. And he mentions part of that. Uh, obviously, part of it is health. But he goes into the family situation, uh, something that we possibly can't understand and I don't want to uh, conjecture on our our. our go into too much beyond what Gentry said. He said, I think he's in a really good place right now. I think the situation with us and allowing him to spend the time with his family, make sure everything is right there was big for him. He's a huge family guy. We saw his free throw percentage drop drastically last year. Once the team acquired Boogie, all of his numbers across the board uh, fell through the floor. Do you see Drew Holiday next to Rajon Rondo having the best season of his career in 2017-18? Oof, that is, uh, boy, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I, he, he was an all-star a number of years ago when he was with Philly. That was obviously a completely different situation. He was a different player as pre a lot of his injuries. Um, but you know, obviously the thing that everyone's going to point to this year is that he's going to move off the ball a little bit more. Um, to me, he's always kind of been a combo guard. He's, he's just an attacking guard, mostly attacking kind of for his own shot a little bit. So it would be interesting to see if he's able to kind of figure out the spots that he needs to get to as a two. 
Um, or, you know, even on defense, when you're a two, that means at times you're going to have to shift up and defend threes. And, you know, I do think he would be able to handle that in order, you know, I can just picture him being posted up um, by some, some bigger player, but him reaching around, he's got those long arms. He's got great quickness. He's got great sort of, he, he almost like guesses. It, it's like an educated guess on where he thinks the guy is going to go. And he's able to get those clean steals kind of like nobody else in the entire NBA. Um, and so I, I like his prospects as a two. Um, but again, he's going to need to make shots. He's going to have to get to the free throw line more consistently, I think. Um, and he's going to have to figure out where to be and to have his, he's going to have to have his head on a swivel because Rondo um, is always looking to pass. Uh, and you're going to be catching passes at strange times at different angles than you're used to little bounce passes, you know, these whip passes that he throws, um, you know, you don't want to get hit in the back of a, uh, in the back of your head with a, uh, a Rondo fastball. Um, and kind of look like a fool, and next thing you know, you're on shacked and a fool. But uh, I do like his chance at the two, um, just because I wasn't all that crazy about him at the one. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but I think it's a necessary gamble at this point. It'll definitely be interesting, because although Rashawn Rondo's defense has slipped, it's definitely going to be an upgrade from Tim Frazier, and you're going to have sure. to think that uh, with all the switching involved in today's NBA, you're going to get uh, he's going to get a lot of breaks with Rajon Rondo being able to use his length and his long arms and his uh, intelligence to defend some of the guys that Drew Holiday was charged with uh, fighting through screens to chase for an entire, um, I don't know what his average was, probably 36 minutes per game. He was charged with doing that. So you'd have to think that a little bit of rest is going to come his way. Now, with that being said, Jamel McMillan said that he's had to relearn how to play basketball three times in the past year because you had the way he was playing with AD in the small ball lineup, uh, you know, the up and down fast pace system. Then you've got Boogie clogging up a lot of the space in the lane that Drew Holiday was uh, used to navigating through. And now you've got Rajon Rondo. And uh, although he did play probably about 15 uh, games towards the end of the season as the primary off-ball guard, he's he's going to have to learn it uh, again with a player who is going to, for the most part, dictate the offense. Now, yeah. you know, is he going to take turns with Boogie and and Drew Holiday, of course, but still on the floor with those three guys, all three of those guys are going to need the ball. And then, of course, you've got the best player on the team, Anthony Davis, who's going to need some touches. So who knows what's going to happen? But I definitely like the idea of letting him take a back seat, so to speak. And then when he gets the ball, being able to drive, having the green light. If you touch the ball, go to the net. That's something that he he's always been timid about doing, in my opinion, or when we watch him, you you never just see him like put his foot on another guy's throat, so to speak, and just attack. And I'll be interested to see if they can get him to do that, especially with a, a leader like Rondo being back there. Let's let's talk about their pairing, because uh, that's that's a subject of a lot of interest right now. Um, of course, we, we weren't going to assume that Rajon Rondo would come off the bench, uh, because we don't want to deal with the ramifications of that. So the <laughs> idea right now, Alvin Gentry even said, is the two of them starting together, drew off the ball to start the game as a scorer, and he was very specific. He said, start the game as a scorer. He said, I like Rondo being on the floor as a leader. Obviously, Drew is going to play some as the primary ball handler. So decode this for me, Travis. Uh, First of all, he calls Rondo multiple times in this interview a leader. This is obviously something that he deems as an attribute that the Pelicans have been lacking. Next, he mentions Drew as a scorer, though he will be the primary ball handler somewhat. Break this down. How do you expect Gentry to stagger the minutes between these two? And how do you see the fit between them working out when they share the floor? Man, that is that is the question for the Pelicans this year. I think this is going to be the determining factor, especially early in the season. Again, like I mentioned earlier, I think the the beginning of the season is just going to be huge. And so how Alvin is going to know how to space those guys out is very interesting. I, I would imagine that when Rondo comes out, maybe you go and throw Drew again back to the one. And you, I guess maybe you put in Etwan Moore or something at the two. Um, and then you, I guess at that point, you probably would take out AD uh, and have Drew and Boogie out there. Although Drew is the one that's got the experience having played with AD. So maybe they want to go with that. But it seems as if the styles would 
would fit better going the other way um, where you've got Boogie to kind of control a little bit more stuff so that you don't hand everything over to Drew um, in those non-Rondo minutes. I, I Going back to one of the things that you said, um, you know, you wish that you would see Drew kind of attacking all the time. And I think you could totally get that with him at the two because if he's catching the ball, you know, coming off a screen over here on the wing and he sees that, you know, his defender is well behind him, now he's got an easy decision to make. You know, he knows that he can go right and he's going to be going into the lane and he can make an easy read from there. He can pitch it out to the corner or he can dump it off to whoever his big guy is with him. Maybe it's AD. And you've got and you've got an Anthony Davis dunk, and now you know now your offense is flowing, um, and so I mean that's just going to be the biggest thing that they've got to deal with. And so I that's sort of my thought is that you would take Rondo out and you would take AD out and you would have Drew with Etwan, somebody else I guess maybe Solomon Hill is still in the game, uh, and you have Boogie and I guess maybe you have Dante Cunningham or you. I'm not sure who you would go with there. I mean, I don't think Diallo is going to be getting early minutes um, at least early in the year. So it'll be interesting to see how they fill those other spots. But I mean, again, the work is going to be all about those four guys and how you, how you pair certain guys. When do you have one guy out and when do you have, you know, what's the combination of three that's really good. What's the different combinations of two that's really good. And right as of right now, we just don't know. They haven't played it all together, and so it's kind of they're going to be making it up on the fly a little bit, and so it's a little worrisome. Yeah, this is definitely what the off season is for, though, Travis. Just making oh, yeah. up stuff that we know absolutely nothing about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I I really like Drew with Boogie just because he's a bit better of a shooter, and Boogie is a yeah. phenomenal passer in my opinion. Um, although he does have careless turnovers from time to time. Whereas uh, Anthony Davis has trouble throwing out of double teams, um, especially cross court. I think he might be somebody really good to to try out with Rondo. And uh, he's so athletic. You think that Rondo would just uh, be chomping at the bit to, to pass uh, some of those alley-oops uh, oh, yeah. over the rim yeah. up to AD that we saw Jordan Crawford and Boogie flip to him a couple of times last year. That really got us all riled up. Like, this could be our future. This could be something yeah. we see every week. That's right. Um, but to touch on, just to go a bit deeper into Rondo and his leadership, Gentry said, we spoke at length before we even decided to bring him here. And he said, it's not all bad having someone that cares enough that they're willing to speak up and do things like that. He, of course, is referring to, uh, you know, spats with Rick Carlisle, um, you know, not receiving a playoff share there, being suspended from Chicago. He said, I think there's certain things as a veteran in, the, in this league that you've earned the right to do, and I'm fine with the things that he brings to the table. Now, I want to know whether or not you agree. So uh, as I just mentioned, he famously didn't receive a playoff share with the Mavericks. They were they were so anxious to get rid of him that they faked an injury and then didn't pay him. And then yep. uh, he was suspended for a game with Sacramento for using a gay slur towards referee Bill Kennedy. Yeah. Um, and then in 2016, of course, as I just mentioned, he was suspended by the Bulls. I think it was for that Instagram tirade where he uh, put the pictures of Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and basically said, this is what a leader, this is how a leader should conduct himself. Well, um, that, that, and he, I believe he like cursed out and got into, I don't, I don't want to say it was a physical altercation, but at least very strong verbal altercation with one of the assistants, I believe. Jim Boylan. So, um, so yeah. there was some locker room problems there. So you, you've you got uh, more information on this than I have. And Boogie, of course, has 96 technical fouls in six seasons. He's <laughs> famous for yelling at his coaches. Um, do you trust the Pelicans with these two vibrant personalities in their locker room? Trust? No. No way. No. Of course I don't trust it, but it might just be crazy enough to work. Um, <laughs> The, uh, you know, the Rondo boogie thing. I mean, they're kindred spirits. They're buddies. They're, you know, they got the Kentucky thing going on. They've got the uh, I yell at my coaches thing going on. Um, I, I am fascinated to see how they interact with this particular team where, um, you know, boogie isn't the guy here. Uh, AD is the guy. And so I think that the boogie Rondo uh, relationship is sort of orbiting around Anthony Davis instead of like it was in Sacramento where Rondo and 
Boogie, you know, that was the main pairing there with Boogie being, you know, the big dog in, in Sacramento. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, you know, they're with, uh, I, I think the word might be a sort of meek locker room. Um, you know, Drew, I have often criticized Drew for kind of not, and not that this really has any value, but not really displaying any kind of like, passion or fire when he's out on the floor during games um in a lot of ways that's like a really great thing so that you sort of don't give your hand away to the opposing players but at the same time i wish i'd see a little bit more from him and kind of the same thing with with ad a little bit um and you just know that the personalities of of boogie and and rondo are there and so they're always going to sort of be the focus you know they're going to be the ones playing cards on the on the plane or playing checkers or what, or uh, Rondo's like a really great uh, connect four player. Um, so I wonder if they play that on the planes. I don't know, but, um, but uh, yeah, so Ron, I mean, Rondo and, and, and Boogie, I mean, it's going to be all about their relationship. And I think that they're going to be okay with Alvin. Um, he's been around long enough to the point where I don't think he's going to get disturbed by anything that they kind of say and do to each other. But then again, Rick Carlisle has been around for a long time and, you know, all their previous other coaches were around for a long time. So I, I don't know if I can necessarily, you know, what was the word you said? If I can trust that they're going to quote unquote behave um, in that locker room, you know, I definitely don't trust that they will, but if they do, Hey, things could be great. You know what? I do trust them. And wow. I, I, I want to go back to you mentioned Man. fire and I got tickled because I remembered uh, Boogie's first week when he referred to himself and Anthony Davis as fire and ice. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He really got into that because, of course, uh, the Game of Thrones are based on the famous books, A Song of Ice and Fire. I don't know why we don't have that meme yet on Twitter with the two of these guys standing next to him, each other, especially uh, with the popular Bleacher Report video, uh, whatever yeah. it's called, uh, Basketball of Thrones or something. Yeah. But- the yeah. reason I trust them is because we we call them timid. Obviously, Solomon Hill is is the leader in the locker room at this point before the additions of Boogie and Rondo. But I think that these guys, especially Boogie, really respect Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps, especially the way they handled his acquisition, going out, picking him up, making him feel comfortable. We saw Boogie in Las Vegas sitting with Dell Demps, and Alvin Gentry was quoted on Duncan Holder as saying that he was there to sort of um you know, talk game plan, talk strategy, talk about what practice was going to be involved with, talk about what things they needed to work on, what things were going to work and what things uh, might not possibly work so well into the future. So he is all in. He is actively recruiting for this Pelicans franchise that he only is under contract for one more year. If we look up in Cleveland to LeBron James, this guy won't won't guarantee anybody anything. He's He's yeah. not calling anybody. He's not contributing to any of that stuff. I think they really respect Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps, and I think even more so than that, their bond and their admiration for Anthony Davis, I think, is what makes this all work. I think that's what. That, I think sorry to cut you off, but that is exactly where I'm with you. I'm I'm less on the it's about Gentry and Demps thing. I think it's all about Davis because you know Boogie has never played with a guy like this, and they're fellow Kentuckians and all that kind of stuff. But Anthony Davis is unlike anything else that they've been around and they it's like he's this prized like gem that they have and they don't want to scuff it up and they don't want to ruin it they want to keep it polished and perfect and nice and they want it to become the best you know be the best player that Anthony Davis can be and they think that they can help him do that yeah, not only does he have the the Tim Duncan type demeanor and the the sometimes fire that gets displayed on the court that's so intoxicating as a fan when you see this mild mannered guy, you know, like chest pumping and like screaming, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, that's my hero! I want him like wielding a sword in battle right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you're, you're in the Game of Thrones mood, I can tell. I'm in the Game of Thrones mood right now, but on top of that, they they have the history. You know, Kentucky, they're yeah. calling the Pelicats now, and they're adding James Young and Darius Miller um, and Jaleel Cousins, DeMarcus's uh, cousin. I think everybody is doing this and handling this the right way, and they're putting the Pelicans in the best position to succeed with all these guys. Now, whether or not it'll work, uh, you know, our hands are in the air at that point. We don't, we don't know how much... Rondo has left. We don't know if if Boogie can cut down on those turnovers. We don't know if Drew Holiday can play off guard and put up all-star type numbers. 
But we do know that at this moment, July 25th, 2017, that these guys want to succeed. They want it to work. They want to stay in New Orleans and and to put together a contender. None of these guys are are saying the things that Paul George is saying, that I want to be in L.A. next year. Nobody's leaking anything to the press. You know, right now, these guys are all in, and and you can't help but be curious. How good can the Pelicans be? Everybody says a seventh seed. Everybody says, you know, seven, eight, nine. You know, uh, we're, we're very top-heavy right now. We don't have a lot of depth, and we don't have a lot of flexibility to get that depth. But, man, the possibilities have to be intoxicating at this point. One more question before I let you go. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to do two questions. Uh, I want to go back to something Joel Meyer said on the telecast uh, during Summer League. Uh, He said the front office had something under their sleeve while covering uh, the Pelicans first Hawks Summer League game. And we already talked a little bit about uh, what Gentry said in terms of what they need and how they're going to hope to to plug that hole. How much longer are we going to have to wait, Travis, before they start finding that wing player, that shooter, that that everybody's rumoring is on his way? As in, are you talking about Dante Cunningham, or are you referring to another guy who would overtake Solomon Hill's role? I don't think anybody's going to overtake his role. I think it's going to be in a Jordan Crawford, Etwan Moore type role that's somewhere mm-hmm. between like 22 and 27 minutes. But Joel Myers was very specific about this. Alvin Gentry was very specific. They have very distinct targets in mind, and you have to believe that something is about to unfold. And I just don't know what it is, and I want you to tell me. <laughs> Man, I wish I knew. Um, yeah, let's see. Well, uh, there's. I mean, so here's the problem, though. The the NBA is, you know, every team in the NBA, minus about three of them, are looking for the best threes that they can find. Or there's about four great wings out there. And so every team is trying to do that. Now, whether they go overseas to find a guy like a Darius Miller, like maybe that's who they had their eyes on forever ago. And maybe they... You know, maybe they knew that they were going to move Drew to the two, which sort of sets different things in motion in terms of now maybe you don't need as many twos and threes as you as you think that you might have uh, otherwise. Um, I, I just I wish I had a better answer for you, but I'm not sure who they who they're who they're even going to be trying to target. Um, there's all sorts of free agents out there that haven't signed with anybody, and I think you know if you listen to a lot of the like national podcasts, the you know, the low post and the crossover and anybody else, um, they would sort of tell you, hey, you know, the market is very, very dry right now. We just saw Alan Crabb basically just get waived um, one year after signing what a it was about a 80 or 90 million dollar deal. Um, and his money was just essentially just voided um, in that trade with uh uh, uh yeah, they, they took so. a direct uh, hit to their cap andrew nicholson's six million a year so um yeah and and they're gonna have to wave and stretch him uh and with the nets the nets didn't even give that contract to andrew nicholson they traded for him from washington in order to offload some of their own salary so yeah. by taking on two different moves they were able to cut salary and add alan crab a player that they uh coveted a year ago and by the way it's a four-year almost 75 million dollar deal hmm. man that's just too much for a guy named crab you know it's i i wrote a bunch of articles about him last year i was really excited about him potentially becoming a pelican and i think the number that i had written was something around four years and 50 million dollars and man yeah. you just compare what he made last year, that 75 uh, insane number, to to what guys are getting this year. Like Jonathan Simmons, I think, just got like a three-year, like $15 million, $16 million, something around six years and uh, $6 million a year annually. Like the, 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 the stark contrast in numbers this year to numbers last year. Of course, you've got uh, a couple of outliers like Miami Heat, who gave like $160 million yeah. to some combination of uh, like Dion Waiters and James Johnson and whoever the third guy was. So there still is money going out. But man, you can't help but, but really shake your head when you see the money that Portland gave last year to Evan Turner and Alan Crabb. And the fact that Alan Crabb is the one that they that they offloaded, I'm, I, I would like to think that they preferred to unload Evan Turner. Um, yeah, that would, be, that would be the guy that I would want to to, to move on from. But I guess yeah, that would make that would make sense. This brings up an interesting concept that I think kind of ties in with Darius Miller, and then another guy who I 
sort of pay attention to um, a little bit because he was a University of Illinois guy, and I'm I'm a University of Illinois grad, uh, and that's Brandon Paul, who just signed with uh, San Antonio uh, maybe a week or so ago. I think that what we might find is instead of teams wanting to keep their own guys and have to sign them at these mega deals that instantly become toxic, a situation exactly like crab um, comes to mind is maybe they go after relatively young guys who have got a little bit of NBA experience. Maybe they played a little bit in the D league or G league. Um, And then maybe they went overseas for two or three years and you're able to get them at such a low cost compared to giving a guy like crab 20 million a year, practically, you know, would you rather have Alan crab at, 20 million a year for four years practically useless at that cost or would you rather have brandon paul who although he's not got a ton of nba experience under him he's a proven european level player and you're getting him at such a lower cost that it doesn't hurt you nearly as much if he's not as productive as you hope he is definitely maybe europe will sort of be the next place where they can grab american players from um because it's sort of like a different version of the D League or G League, where they're already experienced and they're already good, but you can you can grab them at a low cost. Yeah, that would be the ideal scenario: is is uh, accumulating young talent uh, that you really truly believe in, like Darius Miller. They were willing to give him that yeah. extra six hundred k, so they must be really high on him. Bringing in more guys like that. However, yep. just based on what Joel Myers said and Alvin Gentry said, and how cryptic they they were, I just. I strongly believe that it has to be a trade that for some reason or other isn't taking place yet. I'd have to assume maybe it's because uh, the other team is trying to, you know, figure out their books like this. Rajon Rondo took a week signing because the Pelicans had to to figure out what the next course of action was going to be so that they wouldn't trigger their hard cap with uh, coinciding Miller and Frank Jackson signings uh, to stay under that cap. So I feel like there's one domino that's left to fall and I think it's a trade. Um, of course, we've we've gone in depth on all the the trade exception candidates uh, like the Emmanuel Moutiers and the Troy Daniels and the Will Bartons. Um, could be them, could be not. Let's give you one more question. The Pelicans and uh, front office of the Saints and the Pelicans are holding a major press conference tomorrow, and uh, I know that you know exactly what this press conference will entail, what the details are, and I'm so excited for you to announce it. To all of our Bird Rights fans right now, go ahead, Travis. The floor is yours. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news on behalf of <laughs> you heard it here, the Bird. New Orleans Pelicans and the BirdRights.com and the Bird Calls uh, podcast. I don't know. I hope that they uh, are. T- I hope that they're selling the team in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it would be a needed boost to kind of get the team headed in a more stable direction. There's been a lot of talk um, and not even like talk, like actual court documents, I believe about the um, situation with the, uh, with the Benson family and the sons and the daughters and the daughters-in-laws and who, you know, who's going to control the team after, after uh, Mr. Benson sort of, goes away um so it's going to be an interesting uh few years but yeah that that would sort of be my hope i i I don't have any news to break but that's sort of what i'm thinking all right sports fans you have been listening to the vocal stylings of travis tate travis plug yourself what have you got coming up on the bird rights where can our listeners follow you and what are you up to man what am i up to I send out a, f- a couple tweets uh, every now and again. Uh, I write for the Bird Rights. Uh, typically, I'm going to be doing game recaps. That's kind of my thing that I like to do. I like to watch each game as sort of a little individual organism. So that's kind of why I'm so interested in those first 20 or 30 games of the year. At some point, I'm sure I will write about the importance of those games. And once the schedule comes out, I'll I'll need to take a look at that and see kind of you know, how easy or difficult that schedule is going to be. Um, you can find me on the bird rights at my name. is on there. It's just also my Twitter handle, which as mentioned is T-R-A-E-T-A. So it's like Trabeta, I think. Um, 
I also appear on another band on another bandwagon on another podcast uh, uh, here locally. I live in Urbana, Illinois, which is home to the University of Illinois, and I go occasionally on this sports podcast that is um, hosted by the local uh, NPR station uh, WILL uh, for the sports podcast called The Bandwagon. Uh, so if you search the bandwagon, but with no no vowels, so it's just B N D U G N, you'll find some cool and interesting and great content there. So I hope people follow that on Twitter and check out those podcasts. Nice job, Travis. Now, before I let you go, uh, thank you all so much for listening. You have been listening to The Bird Call, a podcast sponsored by TheBirdRights.com. Before I let you guys go, um, I just want to talk a bit about how important it is for you guys to go on whatever uh, you listen to, Stitcher, iTunes, and and rate us. Give us a, a great comment as well. And Travis, tell them why that's so important. So that we can get uh, more followers or money? I don't know. How does this work? Do we get... <laughs> You no, it's followers and money, right? Good. It that's makes me feel for. good when I go on iTunes and I see five stars. So oh, that's just makes the reason you feel you good. <laughs> it's all about your feelings, Preston. Yeah, it's important to me, to my heart. No, it is very important in the in the grand scheme of things of getting attention, getting higher on the list, so that we get more listeners, get more followers, and that we can continue bringing you great uh, guests like Travis Tate, like Jamel McMillan like Jordan Crawford previously, and we can continue reaching out to these guys and getting a better response. So if you want better content, it's up to you to go on iTunes and to give us a rating. But thank you uh, for listening. Uh, I'm very excited. We had 10,000 downloads uh, in our first three weeks, and that's all attributed to you guys, to Ollie, to the guys at the Bird Rights, to all of our guests, Keith Smith, as well as Jamel McMillan and everybody else. So I just want to thank you guys so much. Keep coming back. We're going to have these pods for you every couple of days. I think on Thursday night, we're going to be back here with Kevin Barrios and Ali Cassell, our fearless leader. So uh, pay attention to that. Thank you again, Travis. You guys have been listening to The Bird Call, and let's go Pels! Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.